I'm Dr. Omar Khan. I'm Dr. Shannon Gowland. I'm Dr. Tiffany Dursey. And welcome to Vet Sessions. Welcome back to Vet Sessions. My name is Dr. Tiffany Dursey, and I will be your host today. Today, I'm very excited to have in-house as our guest, Dr. Will Hawker. Hi, Will. Thanks for having me, Tiffany. It's excellent to have you here today. Dr. Will Hawker is a resident surgeon at the OBC Companion Animal Hospital. And today we wanted to talk about setting ourselves up for surgical success. Sounds like a great topic. Hopefully. (laughs) It's going to be great. Um, So before we get started, I just wanted to mention that this episode of Vet Sessions is generously sponsored by OBC Pet Trust. OVC Pet Trust was founded in 1986 at the Ontario Veterinary College and is Canada's first charitable fund dedicated to improving and advancing companion animal health and well-being. OVC Pet Trust supports innovative discoveries, education, and healthcare that improve the prevention, diagnosis, and treatment of diseases of pets. And you can learn more about OVC Pet Trust at www.pettrust.ca or you can connect with them on Instagram at the handle at OVC Pet Trust. And in fact, uh, Dr. Hawker has some research that is uh, sponsored by Pet Trust. So before we jump in today, Dr. Hawker, tell us a little bit about your uh, veterinary pathway. How did you get to be here at OVC doing your residency? Yeah, thanks, Tiffany. So I suppose uh, my pathway is probably a little bit unconventional um, for North America in that I did graduate a little while ago, so back in 2012 from the University of Sydney. Um, I then kind of did what a lot of people do back in Australia, went sort of into general mixed practice, just to, you know, kind of wet my appetite, trying to figure out exactly what it was that I, I wanted to do. Uh, ended up staying there for a good seven years, so did uh, did kind of pay my dues in, in some respects, I suppose, uh, being out in, in mm-hmm. general practice. Um, and then made the decision that I kind of wanted to go a little bit more into surgery or had a, had more of an interest, I suppose, in surgery. We were doing a lot of, um, I suppose, surgeries because we were a fair way from referral, so maybe five or six hours away from the closest referral centre. So I was getting quite a lot of opportunity to do surgery there. I wanted to do a little bit more. And so I decided to kind of come over here um, with some advice from some mentors of mine uh, who, you know, actually a, a surgical resident from the University of Sydney, he kind of suggested I come over here. I was lucky to get a, an internship um, at the OVC and then went into a surgical residency and I'm just uh, starting my final year now. Um, and I, I, I'm actually looking to stay on next year as a surgical faculty. So I'll be hanging around for a little bit longer. That is so exciting. That's really great. And um, certainly a, um, a great story. Um, so interesting that you came to Canada. And so um, you don't quite have the Canadian accent yet. So we'll work on that. <laughs> um, do you have a surgery or a type of surgery that you love the best? What's your favorite thing to do? Uh, coming into it, I probably would have said that I was more of an ortho uh, guy. Okay. Um, coming out of mixed practice, I think that was probably what I was having the most exposure to. You know, certainly a lot of working uh, working dogs in particular, you know, getting mm-hmm. kicked by cows, uh, getting nice sort of mid-difficile fractures that uh, we were repairing you know, at our clinic, which, mm-hmm. was, which was quite nice. So that was kind of a lot of my drive coming into uh, the surgical residency. Um, now having sort of done four years, um, 
I think I'm leaning a little bit more towards, and my supervisor might uh, not be happy that I'm saying this, but uh, probably leaning a little bit more towards um, minimally invasive surgery now I find ah. very interesting. So again, okay. I suppose something that I wasn't at all exposed to during my time in uh, mix, so very novel for me, but I do find it really exciting and uh, we have a, a really good minimally invasive caseload as well at the OVC. So um, I think that's certainly an area that hopefully I'll be able to, to do more in when I when I finish. Sounds great. Excellent. Um, so let's jump into it. So we wanted to talk about some uh, ways that we can increase our surgical success. Uh, where shall we start? So 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 tell me a little bit about what would be your advice. Uh, potentially, it could be for um, novice surgeons, it could be for um, seasoned practitioners. But certainly, as I recall, with surgery, it's all about developing good habits. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's it's a uh kind of a repetitive uh, discipline in a lot of respects. Mm. And it's, so it's about really making sure you have that process in place that you're comfortable with and, and that you're going to be able to go through um, whether or not it's a, a surgery you're very, very familiar with or a novel procedure. Um, I think it's really important to have those good processes in place. Uh, and uh, certainly for me, I remember you know coming out of vet school and maybe having a couple of spays under my belt and then very quickly getting sort of thrust into a clinical environment where I was having all sorts of different surgeries thrown at me and, and mm-hmm. perhaps ones that I wasn't always necessarily 100% comfortable with. And so um, I suppose I want to talk a little bit, a bit about some of the advice that people have given me over the years that I'd found helpful as well as um, some of the tips and tricks I'd picked up and things that I've kind of learnt now coming back into a academic position which I wish either maybe I forgot from university or maybe I I didn't know but wish I had kind of had in my arsenal when I was doing surgeries back in uh, general practice. That sounds amazing. I think surgical advice is uh, is always, uh, um, people are always grateful for that. I mean, um, I think a lot of the students, and I think it's probably across the board with most of the schools, that um, you usually get you know a handful of surgeries under your belt before you graduate, but um, it seems to be practice in the numbers game. <laughs> so yeah. um, so let's dive in. So what would be your first piece of, pre- piece of advice or something that you would recommend? Yeah, So, and I would say as well, you know, I think the, the SPAY is such an underrated surgical procedure. I mean, there's not... I agree. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's not many kind of full organ removal surgeries that we try to do through a incision the size of our thumbnail. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's something that uh, I think uh, we take for granted that uh, particularly out in general practice, people are so adept at these surgeries. But I do think it really kind of points towards how adept uh, general practitioners are at surgery and how much surgical ability they, they have in being able to perform that surgery so well. So I think that's something that you can then take forward into mm-hmm. other procedures. And and certainly if you can do an abdominal surgery through this tiny incision, there's no reason why you can't do other, you know, other surgeries as well. Um, so I think that's certainly a big thing for me is, is uh, just recognizing uh, that this, you know, it can be a very daunting thing, particularly for, for, sure. for new graduates. Um, it is something that you unfortunately only get better with time and so it's not something that's natural to any of us and, and even the best surgeons out there, I'm sure, you know, doing their first spay in their first spay new to clinic didn't look like a world beater. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes the best surgeons are not necessarily the ones who, you know, maybe at the, the initial surgery looked as though, oh, this person's so naturally adept at this mm. because, um, you know, it is all about repetition and practice and it's the people who put in the time to learn those skills that I think often do do very, very well. 
So, so if we take the um, the spay surgery as an example, just to, to talk a little bit um, about some tips, because I think that's something that the new graduates often uh, can struggle with. I mean, I remember um, even myself here, I graduated 20 years ago, but I can think of even in the last few years, some really big, um, older uh, female um, dogs that come in and it can be very surgically challenging. Um, so tell me, like one one thing that I, I think is that I tried to make my incision a little bit too small at the beginning, like you were mentioning the keyhole um, incision, which I think I aspire to, but sometimes I'll say to the the students that they might want to start off and make it a little bit bigger so that they can see and get their hands in there. What are, you, what are yeah, your thoughts on I, that? Yeah, I completely agree. I think yeah, you should come and see some of our spays that we do through you know, exploratory laparotomy size mm. incisions uh, over really? in overseas. So it's, uh, you know, certainly... Um, I, th- I feel like everyone goes through this progression. Uh, you know, when I started uh, uh, in general practice, I was probably making decent size incisions because I wanted to be cautious. And then yeah. as you get kind of good at doing that, you you start to think, oh, I'm, I'm not too bad at this procedure. I'll make my incisions smaller and smaller. And then you end up realising that you're taking 10, 15 minutes longer, you know, trying to do it through this tiny hole, whereas yeah. you could have a slightly larger hole and do it in you know, half the closed. time. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, and at the end of the day, you know, what we always emphasise to people is, um, the way incisions heal are side to side, so it doesn't really matter the length of your incision. You know, I think oh, it's okay. yeah, that's, that's a good uh, good expression. Yeah, yeah it's it's very mm-hmm. I suppose culturally ingrained in in veterinary practice to have these small incisions, and obviously it's hard coming in, particularly as a new graduate, if you've got a very experienced boss. That's what the clients are used to. They're used to these you know one suture type spay yep. incisions. Um, but I think it's about making sure you're comfortable with the procedure that you're doing and, and even, sure. um, you know, I suppose leading on from that, um, making sure that you're set up in a way that you're maximising your chance of success. So, for example, if you go into a practice and your nurses are used to clipping a three centimetre patch of hair um, for your boss to do his spay incision because it's so, so small, uh, and then you come along and they're doing the same thing, you might want to just pause and take thought and just consider whether, okay, maybe I want a slightly larger clip um, mm-hmm. just to give yourself the comfort that if something does happen, you are to drop a pedicle or there is a concern during surgery, you're able to extend your incision easily. Um, you're not then trying to clip the pet, you know, re-prep while it's bleeding. And so all these things, and they kind of refer to, to what's known as the Swiss cheese model of, of surgery where I suppose if you have a bunch of slices of cheese and there's no holes in it, um, no mm-hmm. errors are going to slip through. If you look at every kind of um, human error or factor of surgery as a potential hole, if you put enough holes in that cheese, eventually something's going to slip through and you're going to have a mistake at the end of the day. And I've so never heard that. That's great. Yeah, so it's, it's something. <laughs> Swiss cheese. Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, it's, I suppose it's about thinking from everything from the start of your surgery to True. the end and making sure again it's the same with if you're doing a lump removal you know uh, it can be something and, and it often is the clip job that can really make your life Absolutely. really difficult you know, difficult at the time of surgery so if you've um again clipped a tiny patch of hair around this around this mass and you're trying to get surgical margins yeah you're probably going to get to surgery and you're probably not going to get margins because you're working around your clip job rather than you're not even having to worry about it and so it's sure. those simple things you know thinking about 
making your life easier um, that's really going to really going to help. Uh, that, that sounds great. And I know here, um, and again, because we uh, are involved with a lot, a lot of novice surgeons, um, we certainly make our clip um, job quite big. And I think that, you know, optically and just like you said, um, if anything happens, just you're ready, it's prepped, you're ready to go. And again, we're looking for success, right? So so I think that's helpful. Yep. Um, one thing we've been um, recommending, um, and it's funny because I never did this in general practice, which is, I'm not sure why, um, but we did make a, a surgical instrument checklist. And so we count our instruments before before we start the surgery um, and then before we close. And I know this sounds, I'm sure if a, a lay person was to hear this and to think that we didn't do this before. Um, I remember reading an article from like 2011 or something about the number of um, sponges and instruments that potentially can get left behind. And so just like you said, like it's all about prepping and, and making sure. So we're pretty good and careful about making sure we know what's in our kit. And uh, Yeah, I think that's actually yeah. a, gra- a great point. You know, I think there's probably mental checklists that you, you do, mm. you know, and, and, and part of your mental checklist, again, is just kind of running through the procedure, making sure that you're aware of all the steps, you know, again, just checking all those mm-hmm. things before you even start the incision. But surgical uh, checklists <laughs> are another big thing. And, uh, yeah, I suppose it's uh, near and, and dear to my heart to, to a degree. We've done a little bit of research over there at the OVC just about, and I actually just did a, um, pre- I'm presenting a paper at the ACVS this year about oh, the use of uh, surgical safety checklists amongst uh, diplomats or ACVS diplomats. Oh, interesting. Um, and yeah, interestingly, I, I think it was only around kind of 65 or 68% of, mm. of specialist surgeons that are using your know, surgical safety checklists. But it, it's something that's pretty widespread in human medicine or yes. mandated fairly widely throughout human medicine. And I think, you know, it's, it's different in veterinary medicine because each clinic is very different and what they require mm-hmm. is very different. And so it's harder to kind of have this one size fits all sure. you know, checklist approach. But I do think having something that yeah. you know, suits your practice um, because even just at the start of the surgery, having that pause where mm-hmm. you can kind of, again, mentally check off, yes, we've got everything in the room. Uh, again, at the end of the procedure, you know, have we left any sponges behind? Those simple things, it takes five seconds. Oh, but absolutely. I think it, it's even almost a little bit meditative for me now. You know, if I have a big procedure that I'm maybe a little bit nervous for uh, at the OVC, mm-hmm. you know, we go through the checklist and it's just a 30-second almost pause. Um, yes. And it just makes you kind of sit back, take a a breath, Mm -hmm. um, you know, because the last thing you want to be doing is feeling rushed before you even start the surgery. If you're feeling that kind of time pressure or that rush or that adrenaline uh, before you even make your first incision, I feel like that's when things can start to escalate. And um, that's something that uh, I suppose uh, someone or a surgeon back home once told me, uh, which has kind of stuck with me, he said, uh, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Mm. Um, and so sometimes I'll say that in my head as I'm doing surgery and I, I try not to look at the clock. I try not to think about, yep. uh, you know, maybe there's this consult that's been waiting for an hour and 45 minutes mm-hmm. um, because I've definitely fallen into the trap where uh, you know, I start to feel that time pressure. I start to feel that rush. I start to get that nervous energy and um, then you'll adopt that kind of oh, near enough is good enough. You'll maybe do something that you don't feel that comfortable mm-hmm. with. And, and what I've learned over the years is if I close the patient and there's something I've done that I don't feel that comfortable with it will play on my mind and so I'd much sure. much prefer to take the extra 20 25 minutes you know maybe the client's a little bit annoyed mm-hmm. they had to wait but then I can sleep at the end of the day knowing that sure. I did absolutely everything I can do for that uh, for that patient absolutely I like that mantra can you can you say that again you yeah said- so slow is smooth and smooth is fast and I think it's Great. actually from the uh, Wesley 
Wesley Snipes movie, Sniper or something like that. Yeah, I'll look so, it up. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unrelated, but yeah. Yeah, but that that sounds great. Yeah, so I like the surgical checklist. The other thing, um, and I don't know your comment on this, but um, uh, we um, years ago switched to the um, gauze squares that have the like, radio opaque sort of squiggle on it, so that if you leave something um, in the abdomen, then you can take an X-ray. And again, some of that was prompted because we're working here with students, but it just made so much sense to me. I don't know why we didn't use them before. Probably because expense. Um, and we often um, only with our space um, um, surgeries anyway have um, five um, on our table at a time so then what we'll do is we'll um, put you know five into the, the the garbage and then get five more so that we're not using like 10 or 20 or too many sponges that you could potentially lose yeah i, I think that's comments on that. yeah i think that's a really great idea do you know is, is that there probably is a bit of a price difference i'm not even sure between those but i think there is and yeah. I, I mean i would imagine that they're more expensive yeah. but i think you know again i'm sure it's just so easy that if there's you know if there's bleeding they just absorb so quickly that they look like organic oh yeah it's in- incredibly easy yeah. and, and if we're doing yeah. any large exploratory laparotomy we'll tend to throw um well i will anyway I'll, I'll throw my gauze squares actually off the table at the beginning of the surgery okay um and i'll just use laparotomy sponges oh at that okay point. just because they're bigger just because they're bigger yeah. and then they have the like the little string or something they have the radio opaque string as well okay. but yeah particularly um you know when we've got the whole abdomen open okay. um and it's something that you think, you think, I'm never going to leave a sponge in mm. that patient. But, you know, when stuff starts to happen, you're mm-hmm. suddenly really caught up, maybe something's bleeding, you know, maybe you've got a spay-related complication, you've dropped a pedicle. And I think if you have dropped, if you haven't dropped a pedicle, maybe you just haven't done enough space. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you will at some point. And so, um, yeah, it's certainly something that, uh, you know, suddenly the last thing on your mind is where are my sponges? You know, you're trying to yeah. mop up blood, yeah. they're just things that, escalating really fast and so again just Mm -hmm. having those um yeah again those checks and balances in place just to make your life easier those are the things you least want to be worried about you know if if you stem the bleeding you know you fix your drop pedicle you're probably going home at the end of the day you're giving yourself a bit of a pat on the back thinking of Wow, yeah. I managed to sort of salvage that situation. The last thing you want is then it coming left back a with a left of sponges. Sponge. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I think <laughs> or it's hemostats. just yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> hemostats, yeah. yeah, and it does crazy. happen. And we certainly see yeah. uh, you know instances of that you know coming through the clinic in enough yeah. frequency that it obviously is happening. And so um, again, I think it's all just about making your life easier as a surgeon. Sure. Good, good habits. Um, so tell me um, this with regards to the spay uh, procedure. Um, do you, or do you have a comment? Um, should you always fully break the suspensory ligament? Is that, I know sometimes the students will talk to me about it. Um, I know that my surgical rate has increased probably by fully breaking it because you get better exposure, but I don't know if there's any, if that's just my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I truly think, yeah, that's probably the, the, oftentimes the make or break part of the surgery in some sure. in some respects it's it's intimidating and and i think in junior surgery it's the part that um you know, gives people the most uh, fear for sure because you've kind of yeah. got your, your finger in there you think what you're feeling but it's an unnatural it's feeling unnatural to be to reefing rip, something yeah. yeah you're not normally Strange. ripping things um you know sort of in the abdomen so frequently mm-hmm. so um and it's a bit nerve-wracking at, uh, you know when you're supervising too because you're thinking oh, i hope that the fingers on the suspension, right. yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, normally it is, and generally, you know, they do a very, very good job, I must say. But it's, um, I think that is probably the number one thing that when we go back in on cases of uh, retained ovaries or mm. you know, partially retained ovaries, um, a lot of the time we'll find an intact suspensory. So, oh, yeah. So okay. to me, what that that says is that, uh, and oftentimes it's large dogs as well, and mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm 
100 percent sure it's a very hard you know mm-hmm. it's for your hard surgery to start with and then um you know those suspensory ligaments can be so so hard to break but then oftentimes yeah. i think what happens is you know maybe you're trying to break it you're trying to break it you're trying to break it you think oh it's stretched enough maybe i can sort of just jimmy my way in here yeah exactly um and then you know you don't quite get it all and so you know again i think it's just make your life easy uh, or as easy as possible and i'm not saying by any sense of the imagination that breaking some of those is, is easy but i think taking the time to get it broken will make the rest of your surgery taking extra three four minutes to make sure that's fully broken it's probably going to save you 15 20 minutes of trying to get your clamps on really um you know fussing around at that point um and if you're having a lot of problems again don't be afraid to extend your incision you know if if, if you're working through such a tight space the chances are you're probably you're maybe going to drop the pedicle or something anyway then you're going to be extending regardless so you may as well extend it in a controlled fashion absolutely do the job that you need to do again closing an X-lap versus a spay incision, you know, I think closing an X-lap probably takes, you know, 10 minutes, you mm-hmm. know, closing a spay, it's fiddly still closing a small incision, you know, it probably yeah. still takes three or four minutes. So sure. it's not a huge time difference at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, insofar as um, what type of ligatures to um, choose, I don't know if you have uh, any favorites, but um, we're double ligating. So I think that's number one, making sure that there's a good space between um, the two ligatures so that one ligature, if it falls off, doesn't, you know, pull the other one off. Um, I know we have been saying that, you know, something like uh, a circumferential by itself maybe isn't good enough, um, particularly for the big fatty pedicles or the big dogs. So we'll often do either a Miller's knot, but certainly a trans fixation i think the transfixation has made a big difference in in my success yeah i used to enjoy using it transfixing as well yeah. I, I feel like i just felt much more confident that it was kind of stable around that it wasn't going anywhere um i agree kind of placing them a little bit away from one another which again kind of goes back to that having adequate surgical exposure you're never going to get those ligatures on you know in a, in a safe fashion if you don't have good exposure of that pedicle but uh you know for me i, I did like the transfixing i'm also happy with the miller's knot i think that's a, a good knot as right. well and um i'm not one necessarily you know to to mandate that my way it's you know my way or the highway you know i think that certainly uh, people develop their own techniques you sure. know and, and knots they're comfortable with or combination of knots or the way they like to do this and and um yeah, I think so long as you're comfortable and it's repeatable and, and you feel confident doing that. Uh, I think when maybe you need to pause and self-reflect is, you know, if you're having repeated issues associated with what you're doing, then right. then sit back and think, oh, that's, that's kind of strange. Why have I had this same issue occur maybe a couple of times in a row now? And then mm-hmm. if, that's a, if that's the case, you can kind of um, look at kind of your surgical processes and decide, is there something I could change or um, is there something I can improve on? And I think that constant self-reflection is what's going to set someone apart as someone who's going to grow as a surgeon and become better and better with time and someone who's just going to potentially stagnate um and i think that's probably one of the hardest things mentally as a surgeon as well is Mm -hmm. that uh, it's so easy to become forlorn or or really feel disappointed when you have a surgical complication i think that's the yeah yeah it's the natural um response that we all have we're all kind of high achieving individuals Mm -hmm. we don't like it when things go wrong and you tend to really you know fixate on that that complication and and, you know of all the surgeries that i've done now you know particularly throughout the residency the ones that i can probably list you immediately are all the ones that you know things haven't gone the way Mm -hmm. i would have liked and and they stick in your head and and they can certainly outweigh 
you know, all those successful procedures that you've you've had. You know, you could maybe do 200 successful spays yeah. and then that one that goes awry, suddenly your confidence is, yeah, suddenly yeah. your confidence is shot. You think, I can't do spays, I can't do surgery. Mm-hmm. You know, this is too much. I'm not, I'm not going to do it anymore. And I think that's a, a, a shame when it gets to that for people because, um, and, you know, certainly surgery is not for everyone. Some people just don't want to do yeah, it and that's fine sure. too. But, um, you know, I think if it is just purely an issue that has happened in a in a one-off procedure um you should never let that kind of derail you as a surgeon and 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 i think that's something that was really eye-opening for me coming into referral is as a general practitioner you know you're doing these surgeries and you're thinking oh i bet you know these specialists are never having these these issues Mm -hmm. you know i I bet you they're they're perfect perfect yeah Yeah, and 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 what you realize is that um we're probably having more complications because we're doing surgery all the time and and yeah. you know, we're doing complex sure. procedures and yeah. so um you're not doing easy stuff yeah so. that there's no mm-hmm. one over there you know all the surgeons that i most admire um they've all had complications as well um sure. and they're, they're all very open about their complications too and, and and the great thing about that is it's then a learning opportunity for me you know yeah. to be able to say okay well that's something that they've experienced they're telling me about it now so mm-hmm. i don't have to experience it as well and so i think being open about that is is so so important and and someone kind of once told me um something I, I try and do mentally at the end of each surgery now because i definitely could find myself fixating you know on that one thing just thinking oh did i do that right or maybe i could have mm-hmm. done that slightly differently and um they said at the end of every surgery if you kind of sit yourself down and think about firstly five things that you did well that's right um, and then secondly five things that maybe you could have improved on that's great and because the funny thing is yeah the, the funny thing mm-hmm. is if you if you Say if you've dropped a pedicle, you might think, oh, I really butchered that spay. But when you sit mm-hmm. back and think about it, you made you know, a successful abdominal approach. Uh, you probably did a good closure. You're able to find the uterus. There's so, so many things that you did Exactly. Well. There's yes. a whole lot of technical aspects of that surgery that you've already done mm-hmm. prior to having that issue that you just don't even think about. And so you think, I can't do surgery, but you've done so many good so, things. Yeah, so yeah. much surgery that's been successful up until that that point and so that's something for me where you know and, and as i'm doing more and more complex procedures I, you know again it's easy to lose sight you just think oh i so didn't i didn't do yeah. that as well as i could have you know yeah. and then you're suddenly thinking taking a step back and thinking oh hang on well a year ago i couldn't have even started it. That. Yeah, 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 that, so right. you know again it's, it's just about taking those steps forward and yeah. and recognizing and uh, yeah recognizing yeah. you know trying to learn trying to grow uh, essentially. Th- that's great you know um it, we actually do something similar here is that um after surgery we always say to the students what went well um and even better yet and so um maybe um it's good to reflect and, and like you said not just for novice surgeons but um to look at yourself and you're right because in the context of a day there's so many things going on and you do you're right you focus on you know um you know, I do dentistry here as well. And so, you know, that one tooth, I, you know, the other day I took 13 teeth out uh, and one root broke, but I, I don't focus on all the other roots that I successfully easily took out. It's that one tooth. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so it's, yeah. A, it's oh, a brutal it's, game and it's really oh, humbling, yeah. you know, it's a, 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 yeah. a very humbling pursuit at the end of the day. And I mean, it's, uh, it's sometimes it's, it's hard now, you know, as a surgical resident, you mm-hmm. know, maybe we'll do an orthopedic procedure and Perhaps back when I was in general practice, I'd look at my x-rays and I'd think, oh, you know, maybe I could have done that a little bit better, but I think it should be fine. And you know, now it's kind of with the students around, we'll sit down and we'll, we'll deconstruct every single screw. So you get to relive, uh, the, yeah. relive the agony for an hour an hour in rounds. But you start, it's, it's good again. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it kind of gets used to the fact that and no surgery yeah. is generally perfect. You know, every x-ray That's we review, right. there's something, it, it's such an imperfect 
um, art. Yeah. yeah we so. usually say that the um, uh, the animals don't read the textbook. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sadly. No, unfortunately not. I mean, I've, there's been many times when I've been kind of again, harking back to kind of my general practice days where yeah. um, you know, kind of got this textbook open, you know, trying to do oh, a yeah. procedure and mm-hmm. and you're looking at the textbook and you're looking at the animal you're and like, you think it doesn't look the same. same. Yeah, who wrote this? <laughs> who wrote that? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's definitely not easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, now you were talking um, also about maybe um, some types of equipment or things that can help set you up for success as well. Any comments about things that you love or um, yeah. must have? Or? Yeah, I think there's a few things that I, I feel like we get out for every surgery. So certainly equipment that we have that um, is great and I love it, but it's it's not uh, going to be beneficial in a general practice environment or you're going to get it out once every six months. And so it's, mm-hmm. yeah, and again, we're not getting it out all the time, but there's, there's certain equipment that we are getting out for every soft tissue surgery we do, whether, whether that's a neuter, and we do get neuters through okay. the clinic, you know, or a cystotomy or mm-hmm. a adrenalectomy. And and so the things that I I don't think I would do surgery without now, okay. if I didn't have to, would be um, probably electrocautery, I think okay. is, is really, enough. really useful. Um, suction is incredibly yeah, useful as well. I never experienced that until I worked here and that's, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes a big difference. <laughs> it makes a huge difference. Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. Um, and then the other things I think if you're doing kind of abdominal surgery, a Balfour retractor. Yeah, the um, retractors are very helpful. Yeah, but yeah. even to have around like um, for a drop pedicle, because I feel like, um, I mean, another set of hands is always kind of nice, but um, but certainly the Balfour retractors are amazing. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a huge game changer. For, yeah. yeah, so even for drop pedicle, because if you're trying to hold yeah. the abdominal wall open and anything. you're trying to rummage around, it's, you know. And you're kind of panicking. So, and yeah. you're panicking, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and yeah, there's other attractors out there as well, you know, I think that can make, uh, particularly if you're going to get more into orthopedics or other things, yeah, there are other attractors there too. But I think for kind of all our abdominal surgeries, first thing we do, we open the abdomen. Um, if you've got electric cautery, you can easily remove the falciform. So you've got a yeah. nice, clear view of everything in the abdomen. That's you can true. place your bowel for, and that's just, that's like standard 101 before we've even assessed anything. anything. Yeah, yeah. Right. And um, that's the same every time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and if you're doing that the same every time, it makes life a lot easier because then I know, okay, I know I can approach this abdomen, whether it's a GDV, a foreign mm-hmm. body, a splenectomy, liver lobectomy, it is exactly the same every time. And so that makes you know life easy up until that point. Um, and then obviously you've got to assess what's going on and do the rest of the surgery, but at least I'm not I'm kind of in autopilot up until that stage, which is yeah. which is nice. Which is good. And I guess that's the thing is with practice and practicing sort of emergency situations or what are you gonna do when you drop a pedicle or what are you gonna do if you have some excessive bleeding with your, you know, whatever surgery. So Yeah. Exactly, just having that, yeah. those processes in place. And then, um, yeah, I think in terms of electrocautery, I was lucky to have both electrocautery and suction when I was in general practice, in mixed practice. Okay. Um, even though we were a pretty small clinic in like a town of 10,000 people, mm-hmm. um, my boss was pretty good at finding kind of online bargains. So I think he kind of sourced these from, from somewhere. And <laughs> Sounds very veterinary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, he, and he loved <laughs> his bargains. toys as well. So, um, but electrocautery, I think, yeah, so underrated. I mean, I didn't have it when I first started in, in general mixed practice and we do you do so many lump removals. Yeah. Um, and I think my time to do a lump removal probably courted once we had oh, wow. electric order. Yeah, I guess yeah. so, right, because yeah. you could spend a lot of time ligating. ligating or, just, just, or just like hoping that it's going to, the hemostasis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't see what you're doing. You're yeah. kind of like blotting yeah, away right. continuously and, sure. and electric order is just kind of, uh, I felt like that was a real um, game changer for me. And it's such a simple device to use. You know, again, 
I remember when we got this and we unpacked it and I was looking at it and it has all these dials and things yep. on it and you think, how, how do how I, how do I do use this? this? Yeah. Yep. But uh, realistically, all we do is we turn it up to 15 on cut, 15 on coag and pretty much leave it at that. We, we never really Don't touch it. adjust it and just make sure we have the, the pad under the dogs so it doesn't get you know yep. electrical burn and yep. it's it's super straightforward. And then the, the pens can easily be written into the you know, surgical charge, like they're a pretty cheap um, disposable as far as kind of surgical disposables go. Um, and as I, I think that, you know, for me in general practice, particularly mass removals is something that we're doing, mm. people are doing so frequently. Yeah, and we do a lot here. Yeah, having that availability yeah. just to be like, oh, I've hit this little arterial bleeder mm-hmm. rather than spending five, ten minutes trying to you know, put pressure yeah. maybe you're trying to tie a ligature around it, you just zap it, it's, you know, yeah. five seconds. Move on. Move on and it's done. Um, so that was a big one. And then suction, I think, if you're doing, again, exploratory laparotomies, things okay. like that. Um, again, just for visualisation rather than sure. you know, sticking your sponges in, trying to mop things up. So, And, and I just think they're relatively cheap. So for me, I th- you know, th- those are three Good things investment. that yeah, I think is a, a worthwhile investment if you're going to be doing a decent amount of surgery. But even for you know, spays, as you said, if you drop a pedicle, things like that, they can come in very handy. Um, the other one, which is very, very cheap, is a sterile marker. <laughs> um, oh, okay. Yeah, I find that really useful for mass removals. Okay. Um, like to mark to ink the... Well, to mark no. to like where you're going to cut. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, I yeah, see what you mean. Yeah, because yeah. again, I'd, I'd kind of oftentimes, you know, I'd have a mass and I'd be looking at it and I'd think, ah, oh, you know, how... Large margins do I need, right? Yep. So I'd, I'd kind of measure out maybe my scalpel. I think I need about two centimetres either, either side. Then I'd start cutting and you kind of things start to distort. I'd, yeah, I'd lose where I was going. So then I'd kind yep. of be like blotting, trying to remeasure, trying to figure out where I was going. And again, just wait, wasting. Well, I felt like I was wasting time doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's actually, I, I remember I went to a kind of a surgical CE course back home and uh, they'd mentioned, oh, look, you know, they always used a marker. So I employed that and found it was really speeding things up for me and yeah, so what sure. I like to do now is if I've got a mass maybe it's a mass in a difficult area but I know what it is and so I think okay well you know I've got a soft tissue sarcoma it's on maybe the lateral flank and so I know I need kind of those two to three centimeter margins mm-hmm. laterally I need fascial plane deep if I'm going for curative intense surgery mm-hmm. so then um, what I used to do as I said I just kind of estimate go or it, go yeah, for it and I'd get halfway through yeah. and then you know sometimes you get good margins yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then sometimes you'd end up taking this thing off and then some, and you'd have this Lop-sided. enormous <laughs> defect and you'd be like how am I going to close this and you, so you have this moment of panic where because yeah. everything expands and so yeah um, what I'll tend to do now is even before surgery I got in the habit of I'd, I'd mark or you know, yeah. clip it I'd mark it and then even with a permanent marker I could draw my margins just in the consult and then I can kind of with the skin see you know, if it works see if oh, it works right. yeah you know, and if you can idea. like touch the skin yeah. on then either you're side you're like, okay I've probably got you know pretty good uh, tension there it should be fine right. to close primarily um, and then at the time of surgery if I draw them on again I can do the same thing I can kind of figure out okay where is where is my close? tension where are my tension lines is it going to close before I start removing it good idea if I've done that then I can pretty much cut with rec- reckless abandon at that point because I yeah. know okay I know I can I'm close it go. I'm good to go I'm taking I'm going straight down laterally I'm getting to my fascial plane I'm taking that off I'm not concerned I know it's going to come together at the end mm-hmm. if there is concern that I know about that in advance and mm-hmm. then I've either discussed that you know with the owner or I've planned for leaving it open or plan for reconstructing so whatever it might That's be I'm not getting in that situation where suddenly I'm faced with this enormous defect that I don't know yeah. what to do with so and that was something <laughs> that good. yeah always kind of plagued me a little bit and again I felt like it, it's a super cheap so simple cheap. tool um, yeah. and it's made 
life big yeah, difference. A lot, lot easier, yeah, I think yeah. that I, I don't know if it comes if it's just a way that it is here, but um, ours also has like um, a tape measure, like a paper yes. sterile tape measure. Exactly. So then you can measure the two or three centimeters or something. So I agree because I feel like if I think in my brain how big two or three centimeters, it's I'm often off. off. Yeah, <laughs> I shouldn't I be, but it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm yeah. you know, wildly off on that. Yeah, I'll send, yeah. I'll, I'll estimate kind of masses that we've removed, and I get the histopathology back, and yeah. it's yeah, my like, my what? measuring yeah. is not accurate in my brain. So yeah, um, yeah I find that's really good advice. Super super useful. So yeah, those are probably the the four things I could kind of think of. Um, just say just just relatively easy equipment that uh, and then I suppose the other thing as well as a new graduate coming to a practice is before you start a surgery it's probably worthwhile just rummaging through what suture material they have and making yourself familiar with that because um you don't want to say yeah just cat gut yeah exactly (laughs) exactly yeah yeah it may may still be the case I mean yeah I feel like we're when I was back in mixed practice we had the the we did still have some cat gut on the reel for oh, yeah, some large animal for surgery sure. yeah 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 um, that's what we, we use for the pedicles all the time was cat yeah, gut, cat gut? Yeah, yeah, yeah on the reel right on and, the reel yeah, yeah, yeah with the big needle and yeah, so yeah. i think right. yeah i was still closing the odd abdominal wall, wall in a cow which in, in hindsight you think how did that even uh, even <laughs> hold together, but it, was, it yeah. was cheap i suppose but uh yeah yeah certainly you know you don't want to be getting in a situation where you think oh i can do that foreign body removal and then mm. you get in and you've only got you know Nothing. zero pds on a cutting yeah, needle or something and then you're trying to close a two hours intestine with this mm-hmm. normal suture. So it's just little things again like that, which, uh, and just having a chat to your boss, seeing what their suture materials are yeah. that they use, what are their preferences, why. Sure. If you have a different preference, maybe you can explain that. Um, mm-hmm. Again, you want to be comfortable. And that's something for me that I'm not going to compromise on. If I've just spent all this time, you know, an hour and a half doing this abdominal surgery, I've poured my soul into yeah. making this go well, I'm That's not going to compromise on closing the abdominal yeah, wall. Yeah, for sure, you know, for sure. Because yeah. it's, it's the last it's thing you need. Yeah, yeah, last thing you need is to have it break down and you've done a great job on the surgery but now you're dealing yeah. with a open abdominal wound. So um, for me that's something that I, I, I'm not going to yeah, compromise, compromise on it. and I'm always going to yeah. take the time to do it properly. So for me it's, you know, you should have a look at what sutures you have, make sure you're comfortable with kind of their their profiles and what you're planning on using them for yeah. before you go ahead with the surgery as well. Absolutely. Um, now, uh, with that, when we're talking about abdominal closure, um, do you feel that for a novice surgeon, is it okay for them to close, say, the abdominal wall, like the, line, the, uh, sorry, the linea um, with a continuous pattern? Or are you feeling that right away, the, um, for a little bit anyway, that they should do uh, interrupted? Or do you have any comments on that? Yeah, I, I'm... Not too stressed about that either way. I think, okay. um, you know, whatever you feel most confident with. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I think, uh, you know, if, if, if you're sure you're engaging the linear and you're you're confident with your knot tying, I don't think there's any reason why you shouldn't do a, a continuous, continuous pattern. Um, I think when I first started, I'm pretty sure from memory I was doing an interrupted just because it made me feel, feel a little bit better. Sure. Um, the downside of that, I suppose, is you do have a lot more suture materials. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, you do have a lot of suture then in, in the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest thing for me, I think, is making sure you are engaging the, the linear appropriately. And, right. and again... Um, identify it, right? That's why I said to the students, make sure that you can see it and that yeah. you really understand that it's the, you know, that what's the external rectus sheath and what's the internal rectus sheath. And you got to get that external, yeah. the rectus abdominis, whatever. Exactly. So. Yeah, make sure you're getting that yeah. external rectus sheath. And yeah. uh, if you need to clear off a little bit of tissue around okay. that i'm i'm not afraid I, you know i think um 
there's kind of two schools of thought on that. You know, some people are very adamant that you shouldn't dissect too much around, mm-hmm. you know, the linear. You don't want to create dead space. Maybe you'll get more seromas. seromas yeah. um, okay. But for me, I, I think, you know, seromas generally not life-threatening if, it, if it's what you, you need to yeah. be able to see where you are. Um, and mm-hmm. honestly, most of the time when we're doing kind of abdominal explores, we're clearing off quite a long way on either side of that linear just to make okay. sure that we know exactly where it is so um, i don't have a problem if you need to do that to see where you are and, and finding the linear is hard and i still struggle mm-hmm. with that particularly when we're doing laparoscopic things and we're working through a small hole and you're in your son's sure. caudal abdomen you're trying to find it and it's not always very not distinct mm-hmm. um so again taking the time to make sure you identify that because if you start your procedure you've kind of gone off midline then sometimes there's there's bleeding that can kind of set you off on the wrong foot um just take that a little bit of additional time find your linear and that way when you're closing as well you're going to be more confident of it um but yeah i don't i don't have too much of an issue either way obviously in junior surgery here we, we get them to close with with interrupteds okay. um just more for a practice or because they're new to it as well so i sure think that, yeah i think yeah. yeah just new and, and again you do need to make sure that you're not tying is is good so if there's any, exactly True. if there's any doubt about your knot because obviously <laughs> with a continuous yeah. you've only got the two so i don't know do you guys have a specific thing um so it sort of depends like so um with the um with this the students if we're doing abdominal um surgery um um, they have sort of a time that's allotted for them to sort of engage in the surgery and then most often um it's probably one of us that's closing the um, linea so if it's us we'll do a continuous uh, pattern if it's the students then it sort of depends on um how um you know confident they are and again like you said they're not like we're watching the whole time to make sure that there's you know knots are nice and flat and square and as they're doing the continuous suture can they pull it tight enough and keep it tight enough so that there's not any gaps so um so i think like years ago i was taught at the very beginning i probably did interrupted for way too long like probably five years in general practice i don't know why i think that's because was I, I was taught and then i sort of finally you know took a deep breath into the continuous and then you realize that you know actually <laughs> it's a lot faster yeah. uh, right and then you yeah. know less anesthetic time and that stuff so so for a lot of the students actually we're doing continuous if yeah, they can, if they have time. I, I yeah. don't have an issue with that yeah. i think you know once you've got that yeah. again i think that we, we rarely see issues coming through with like dehist um, spay incisions where it's okay. been a matter of continuous versus interrupted. I okay. think it's normally, oh, we've got the, the yeah. wrong layer essentially, yeah. you know, most yeah, of the time exactly. it's because there is that, there's that kind of subcutaneous mm-hmm. layer yeah, that can often look very fascial. You know, you can, 100%, you know, right? it can I be agree. very, very confusing, particularly again, when yep. you're going through a small incision, mm-hmm. it, you know, everything can kind of tuck away from you and you just grab what looks fascial, the heart, you know, the closest thing to, if you close that, then that's, I think yeah, it yeah. tends to be when people run run issue. into issues. Yeah, yeah you sure. got to make sure you close the right layer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. um, now, what about some of the students will tell me sometimes that um, there's something called connecting the layers, that that makes sense. So what they're doing is that they're having a continuous line that goes through the sub-Q, and I think they're using the ends and connecting it to the interdermal layer if they're doing like a subcuticular interdermal pattern. Um, any comments on that? Yeah, I don't have a problem. So um, you're sort of referring to... Doing your sub-Q, keeping that yep. same suture and then coming back for Correct. the intradermal. Yeah, Correct. yeah. I, I actually quite like that, I think, for those small incisions. Okay. Um, yeah, because, I mean, realistically at that point with the sub-Q and skin, um, it's more cosmetic than anything. True. You know, it's not our strength-holding layer. We've got that done with our linear, so yep. we're less concerned at that point. And um, so what we want is a nice cosmetic closure where, you know, suture's not sticking out. Yeah, we're not getting crusting, scabbing, irritation for the dog. So... Uh, for me, uh, yeah, if we've got a very large abdominal incision, then I'll do separate layers. Obviously, it doesn't make sense to combine it in the one. Yep. Um, you've got plenty of room for your knot tying. But when you've got these little Tiny, cat spay incisions sure. and things like that, I, I personally, I don't have a problem. If, if you want to kind of keep that 
suture material, you know, run one way up with your subcue, then come back intradermal and tie back to that. Sometimes it helps to bury that knot. You've got less, you know, suture material in there. If it's neat and it closes, then I think that's, you know, perfectly fine as well. Um, okay. Do you guys, will you guys employ that Yeah, a so bit you know, it's funny that um, uh, because uh, like years ago, like we always said, no, 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 you can't do that, even though like lots of people do it in general practice. And then I think someone had mentioned that there was a school that did some uh, paper on it to say that it holds just as strong so i think since that we're um, becoming a little bit more lenient with it so yeah and i think um, i think we're doing it yeah. more and more in, gen- in junior surgery yeah, too I particularly so. those castrates and things like that i, yeah. I, I certainly i say i don't have a, an issue yeah, with it so at that small. point yeah so long as again the, the part i'm most concerned at with the, is the linear and then Absolutely. yeah beyond that i think um what we're wanting is that that nice closure just to keep that skin you know nice and opposed essentially right now if we were going to jump over to say like a, the neuter of a large dog um do you have any comments about like some people um will actually close the tunic and i don't think because uh, potentially that there'd be i mean obviously there's no entry into the abdomen but i think they're doing that because they think it decreases the hemorrhage or it's um bleeding or yeah it does mention that, that in some surgical textbooks interestingly where they okay. they'll sort of say oh you should close the tunic um you know because the I suppose the vaginal tunic, uh, is there the possibility of hernia occurring like through okay. the, the vaginal process? It's I don't think it's something we, we ever really see. We don't do that. Um, I don't think it would be wrong. You know, I don't think it's right. going to create any issue closing that off, to be honest. Um, but it's not something that we'll do routinely here. Routinely. You know, we'll just okay. do kind of our sub-Q and skin on those. And uh, again, it's not something that clinically... I think it's more of a theoretical concern than a, a practical concern. concern, yeah. But uh, certainly it, it is listed in some texts. So I'm sure that's probably where people are getting okay. that from as well. Okay, yeah. we, we haven't routinely done that. So like sometimes with big dogs, I think some of the complications I've seen with bigger dog neuters is more so that if people don't rest them adequately afterwards, um, then sometimes um, they'll get some some bleeding into the scrotum. And, and it Scrotal hematomas, like, yeah, yeah, it can be like very never, spectacular. Yeah. Oh my, it's like you didn't even neuter them, right? <laughs> I know, and I yeah. think that, so now I think we're more um, more commonly we'll go ahead and we'll prescribe some kind of sedative post-surgery if they're big dogs yes. and they're, well, even small dogs if they're pretty energetic. So Yeah, I think that's a big thing. You know, and, yeah. and particularly now with the move towards doing these dogs later and later, they've, they've sure. got 100%. much larger scrotums. Oh, yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, yeah, you can get some spectacular scrotal hematomas that yeah, uh, yeah, can be bigger than the testicles that you, you took out. For 100%. Sure. <laughs> and, you know, um, um, on that same topic, right, when we're talking about surgical success, I think um, we are prescribing more uh, potential sedatives post-surgery, um, surgically, because I feel like a lot of times we've done our job, you know, we've tried to be really accurate about our surgery and very careful about the closure. Um, but um, a lot of, you know, we and again, we try to send discharge statements with very specific instructions about exercise and that type of thing. Um, however, <laughs> as you know, the dogs actually recover um, and cats recover so quickly that if they're running around like maniacs pretty soon after surgery, um, that's not helping um, our surgery site. So so we're um, trying to give more specific instructions of what, about what, you know, exercise restriction means, um, being very um, specific about that, saying you may walk the dog on a leash for 10 minutes, you know, three times a day for the next week or whatever, um, and, and, and uh, you know, prescribe some some more sedatives if, if needed yeah I think looking at that that full post-surgical picture as part of mm-hmm. the treatment is, is something that's changed so much sure. over the last little while and I'd completely agree I think um, you know we're we so much more effective in the medication now that we we use and yeah certainly um, particularly those post-operative sedatives is a is a huge component of our post-operative care mm-hmm. now um, I you know I, I think it's 
Yeah, and we're probably all guilty of it as well. You think in your head, oh, how hard could it be to confine your dog for two weeks? And then I had my own dog spayed, uh, <laughs> you know, sort of a couple of months ago. And after a couple of days, I was like, oh, she's driving oh me mad. God, you I know, know. So it's, it, it's really hard. And so I think yeah. you kind of forget about that. It sounds easy on paper. So I, I'm not sure. Um, I would be interested to know the, the percentage of people that are compliant yeah, to right. you know, completely compliant you I, have I to send activity monitors or something like yeah that. yeah yeah it's, it's it's incredibly hard but i think we do have more weapons in our arsenal now to kind of help with that yeah. as well and so looking at that whole uh picture um mm-hmm. is is super important and kind of talking about when you're talking about kind of using medication and things post-op as well it's kind of triggering my mind and thinking mm-hmm. um i suppose you know talking about surgical success you should also now i'm so focused when i'm what i'm doing is just surgery right i'm, I'm not focused mm-hmm. on the anesthesia or anything like that but that is another component in general sure. anesthesia which is is under your care and it's often adding to the stress you know you're Absolutely. you're trying to do a procedure but you're also trying to monitor the anesthesia heart and, and yeah, heart rate right. and so um, i think if you're getting in a position where you feel as though it's all escalating and, and it's something you can't control um, at that point, it, it's never wrong to ask for, for help, um, whether that be from a technician that you trust, mm-hmm. um, another veterinary surgeon who's available at the time, that's just right. to take something off your plate. You know, if you're trying for to sure. deal with an anaesthetic that's not going well yeah. and you're trying to deal you with a surgical, it's it's impossible. Yeah. Um, as I say, I have the luxury now of having very good anesthesiologists and yeah. so I purely focus on what I'm doing surgically uh-huh. um, and that makes a huge difference. 100%. Like I know um, uh, way back, you know, 20 years ago when I first started, uh, for sure, like I was monitoring my own anesthesia and doing the own surgery. I don't even know how that was possible. Um, and so we're quite spoiled here because we have such talented technicians um, that are so good at anesthesia and so good at monitoring. And we've got lots of fancy monitoring equipment, which is really great. Um, but a student and a technician will be monitoring um, the anesthesia while um, the veterinarian and the student are performing the surgery. And so I can really concentrate on what I'm doing, which I think, you know, I, I think that's the focus that you want yes. and you need, right? So it's hard to believe like to multitask with a crashing patient that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. You used to have kind of the yeah. off the needle anesthesia, the receptionist yeah. at the front, you'd just call out to yeah. come and top them up when they were getting a little bit light, that yeah. sort of situation. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah, it just adds a whole nother level of, uh, of stress, stress. <laughs> that, that you don't need, particularly when you're starting out. And so I think 100%. having that team that you trust around you, you're making sure you stay in, yeah. in comfortable situations. And certainly something for me as well, if, if things are escalating surgically um, or I feel as though my mind is starting to run at a million mm-hmm. miles an hour and I'm not making good decisions, sometimes I'll even just step back yep. you know, from the, the table. Yeah, right. ask for help, um, yep. even just take stock of the situation. 100%. Sometimes I'll organise my table, you know. Yeah, just know, take a moment, take a Just a take a moment, yeah, just get yeah. your instruments back in line, kind of reorganise your mind mm-hmm. uh, and then attack it from a fresh fresh angle because um, it's certainly something that as it starts to run away from you, it can mm-hmm. run more and more and more away from you and, and uh, it's just about trying to remain as, as calm as possible, which as is not always... No, it's not that easy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think um, in the context of what I do here, I think, um, you know, we do um, a lot of um, abdominal surgery, lump removals, like that type of thing. Um, Certainly, as I recall, I did um, in my early years do some orthopedics um, with one of the vets that I worked with and very challenging trying to fix fractures. So we do, we refer them all now, which is fantastic. But I think the hardest thing for us is dentistry and dentistry. Someone once said that um, dentistry is sort of like a golf game. And so, you know, (laughs) when you have a good golf game, it's going well and 
everything's great and you love golf and you think you're the best golfer. And then, um, yeah, when you have a bad golf game, it's, yeah, it's the yep. pits. One of, one of the things that drove me out of general practice, no, no offense to a dentist, but uh, was, oh, it was rough, uh, you know, and, and, and it was really tough and long procedures, so they're yeah, mentally draining, you yeah, know, and tough. oftentimes, yeah, it, it, I could do okay with sort of, oh, I need my dog's canine out or something, but normally yeah. it was like my dog needs... Yeah, 13 Seemingly teeth, every, 10 yeah, teeth, all 20 teeth. teeth. Yeah, and, exactly. and it's just beyond my uh, yeah, attention span sometimes. You just, it's, it's, uh, it can be really hard. So I think that all, yeah. yeah, all those sort of procedural things all kind of play into that. And it's the same sort of thing. Mm. You start to get frustrated, frustrated yeah, doing can. dentistry. 100%. You start to rush. That's when you break a root. You break a yeah. root, then you're taking five times as long as if you're just 100%. taking the extra 30 seconds, two minutes. And again, it's, yeah. that's what it's like in surgery. If you're I rushing, bet. You're cutting corners at every step and every single corner that you cut again, it's another hole in that like Swiss, Swiss cheese, cheese Yeah, model. well, that's a good and, way to say it. Yeah, yeah and then everything's going to yeah, create an issue at the end. Yeah. So, Yeah, one thing that we did, um, um, and certainly I would recommend this for um, new um, novice surgeons or new graduates, um, is uh, if you look at us when we schedule our surgeries, there's always another vet in the building. And so um, so even if that vet is on appointments, um, it's never on a single vet day. And I think that's something to think about, especially if, you know, if your first job is in a small practice making sure that maybe there's someone else around so that if you you know if you really need to to tap out or you need a little bit of assistance that you're not the only person in the building yeah i think yeah, having a safety net is so, so 100%. helpful even if they're yeah. just there doing appointments i think that's just so helpful and there has been times where i've had to call on my colleagues and say hey look i just need an extra set of of um you know hands and, and the, the students can be so helpful but it's also great to have someone with a little bit more experience yeah so, yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah i think that's something that never goes away you yeah know, there's there's no, always I don't think that, it does. that that yeah. sometimes just that need that you need to have someone else in there you need an extra set of eyes you you need someone to kind of again reset things for you and just say no things are going okay you know we just need to do this and this yeah you can become so fixated and and if you're Mm -hmm. so far involved in something that's been going on for a long time sometimes you just can't even think clearly at that point so I think having that that safety net and even just having the knowledge that you have a safety net again it's one less thing to stress about so Mm -hmm. you're not going in burdened with all these thoughts outside of all you should be worried about is how do I do the surgery and yeah. how do I do it well and that's what you yeah. want your focus to be on you, you don't want your focus on all these external factors so as mm-hmm. much as you can control those it's going to make your surgical experience you know uh, much more pleasant and so I think as a as a new graduate having that environment um, is super important and I, I hope Absolutely. I think you know probably most practices out there now are very kind of aware of of that and and there are a lot of fantastic supportive um you know bosses out there too who are who are willing to help so um yeah i think that's definitely a a really really big thing absolutely so uh being prepared um you know making sure you know what you're doing making sure you got the right equipment um a little bit of surgical planning or maybe a lot of surgical planning um uh anything else that we're yeah and i think you know don't be afraid to open a textbook you know again it's true it's Mm -hmm. um I think sometimes people may, may wear it as a badge of honor as, as they get older. They mm-hmm. think, I don't, I don't need that. But yeah, there's always things that you might, um, yeah, you might forget mm-hmm. or yes, yeah, so I think reviewing before every procedure. And then uh, also I think talking to other people who are doing these surgeries, sure. you know, you don't want to be closed minded. And again, I think just thinking that your way is the ultimate way you've perfected that technique. I don't, I truly don't think that anyone has ever perfected a surgical technique. As we spoke about earlier, there's Mm -hmm. so many variability or so much variation between patients, Mm -hmm. um, between situations. I I really do think it's impossible for you to say, I 
can do the perfect spay every single time. Yeah. So I think yeah. being open to alternatives, who knows, maybe they'll invent a new spay technique. And I mean, we're always sure. changing these things as well. So I think just yeah. constantly talking to people, being open to different ways, adjusting things, and then coming up with a way, you know, if, if you get opinions from 10 different people and then you streamline them into your mm-hmm. your technique, um, then That's hopefully great. your technique is going to be the best of all 10 and so you're going to be doing a really good job. And so That's for me, right. it's, it's about keeping that open mind. Um, in terms of kind of specific procedures, I suppose, if I was going to think about quick tips that I could give for procedures that I was doing commonly in general mm-hmm. practice that, uh, you know, things I wish I'd known. Um, yeah, for, for me, I, I suppose, I think, again, when I was in general practice, I had this idea that, oh, if I refer this cystotomy, they're going to be doing some sort of fancy procedure in the specialist hospital. In all honesty, we're doing the same cystotomy. So there's a, a bunch of procedures that I think, you know, people now, uh, there's always this concern, I suppose, that everything has to be referred or we've got That's to offer um, clients referral for everything. I mean, do we need to be offering referral for every spay? I, I hope it doesn't come Not to that. Bad. You know, yeah. we, we don't we don't have the capability at the OVC to cut, you know, unfortunately right. every cystotomy, mm-hmm. every foreign body. And so some of these I think are completely within the wheelhouse of, of yep. general practice. And if you want to do that, and um, I have no issue with that at all. I think that's, you know, go, yep. f- go for gold. Go for it. Um, so for me, you know, the biggest things, cystotomies, I suppose, you know, when I was doing these, I was always having so much issue. Um, you know, I'd kind of prep my little area where I was going to make my abdominal incision mm-hmm. and then I'd drape the patient and uh, then I'd have someone under the drape with the catheter, you know, trying to pass the catheter up, oh, up right. and down, yep. uh, which was always a nightmare. And mm-hmm. then coming here, you know, I'm kind of doing a few more here, uh, what we'll always do is we'll always prep and drape, whether it be the penis or yep. the vulva, into the surgical field. So as the Got surgeon, it. you have control over, over okay. what you're doing. Yeah. So you're That's able helpful. to catheterize both ways. You're able to flush. You're able to kind of exteriorize the bladder. You can see what's going on. You don't have someone in this deep, dark hole yep. trying to catheterize a yes, female dog. Yes, I know dog. exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a nightmare. You know, you, you, yeah, you, you're can, like, can you... Can yeah. you get it in? And like, no, I can't. You're kind of not <laughs> sure. Then, then half the time you can't, you know, you get it you in once, then you can't yeah. get it back in. And so you haven't flushed as well as you'd like. And so that was a big thing for me. Okay. And again, just so you're clipping a bigger area, yeah, bigger you area. know, and you're prepping a bigger area. Yeah. Um, but then you Which have... takes only another minute. Yeah, like, yeah it doesn't yeah, take no much time, but it's saving yeah. you all that time at surgery. It's giving you better confidence advice. that hopefully all your, your stones are removed as well. Yeah. Um, so that was probably, you know, a big, a big one. one for me. Um, I did have, what else did I have written down here? Oh, yeah, I think that was probably the main one. I had, I had spoken a little bit about lump removals and the sterile yeah, marker like that. already. that's a great idea. Um, and then I think the other big one for me is kind of wound care. Okay. Um, yeah, again, we get, I think, I think people think sometimes we're doing these really fancy things on these wounds, but mm-hmm. we're actually just bandaging them. Like we're not doing anything, mm. uh, anything crazy fancy. at all. Yep. Um, and it is fairly straightforward a lot of these things so you can get a really really nasty wound and if you can look at a wound and you can assess it and say okay this is really contaminated you know this is disgusting it's clearly not a clean surgical incision uh you're never really wrong in that instance just to you know sedate the dog clip clip it and clean it you know that's that's kind of very basic, basic yeah, but basic but first aid. Basic yeah. first aid. But it's like super simple and you can even yeah. you know if it's really contaminated there's evidence to show that you can just basically spray a tap on it to remove the gross contamination yeah, right. it's, it's more the volume of lavage at that point than mm-hmm. anything fancy you don't need sterile saline you don't need some sort of yep. pressure delivering device you can literally just 
pour the tap on it, you know, yep. hose hose it out. Get that bacteria in. Get, exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, finish off with maybe some sterile saline or something like that if you want to get it really nice and clean. Then put a sterile wrap on it. And and it's it can get very scientific with sort of what bandage you're using. Yeah, I was going to say. The reason why there's so many bandages out there, I think, is because there's obviously no perfect one. So if there was True. one wound dressing that was so superior compared to every other wound dressing, I'm sure that's all we would be using. Hopefully we'd know by now. Exactly. <laughs> but every company wants you to believe that their wound dressing is the best. So yeah. it's probably just going to depend what you have in your arsenal. But so True. long as it's sterile and it's non-adhesive, mm-hmm. if you're going to put that on, generally it's going to do the job, particularly you know, if you're then going to need to transport the dog for referral. Mm-hmm. Or I honestly think a lot of these can be managed in a non referral environment you know because a lot of it is just very straightforward you know taking the bandage off each day cleaning it out Mm -hmm. if it is contaminated we are just putting honey we're putting honey from the the guelph bees you know that they just bring over unpasteurized so as long as you've got honey that is not being pasteurized um you can use that. You can even use table sugar. So if, if you don't have honey in your clinic, you can right. just walk the to your – Yeah, yeah, and just yeah. You know, put sugar on it. So <clears throat> it's nothing that we're doing that's sort of super – Rocket science Rocket or science or, yeah. or really extravagant. We'll, we'll tend to do daily changes like that for, you know, five, six days until the mm-hmm. wound bed becomes more healthy and then we'll probably switch to, um, you know, just a sterile non-adhesive dressing once we've got that healthy granulation bed. Right. And then at that point – you can certainly reassess and you can decide, uh, is this something that maybe could be closed? Does it need a reconstructive technique if I'm not comfortable with that? You know, we can refer. Um, or if it's in an area maybe or maybe the owner can't afford referral, can I get away with just second intention healing? And, and you'd be surprised mm-hmm. at time, how, how many quick. do you know yeah. heal just with second intention. And once it starts to contract, suddenly overnight it seems like it's gone half the size. Right. Um, and so that's something for me, and I think, Coming from the general practice environment, we, we were seeing a lot of kind of wounds, okay. um, you know, things like that, and we were managing a lot of those uh, kind of in house. And, and certainly, I'm not trying to dissuade people from referring. No, in, no, it's in, just trying to figure out what you what you can do. And I, I think yeah. it gets back to like what you said. Like I think you know, in the context of a day, um, it's so um, uh, unpredictable, right? So you know, you've got some your, your your appointments. You look at the beginning of the day and you say, okay, this looks like a pretty good day. And then all of a sudden, these things start coming in. And um, sometimes in the moment, you know, we all sort of panic. And like you said, you just need to take a moment and say, okay. I can let's let's start with the basics here. Let's clean this wound. Let's clip, and then kind of go from there and take it step by step. Yeah, and I think that's yeah. It's, yeah, it's that initial knee jerk, and yeah. it, with with every surgery as well. I remember as a new graduate, you know, I'd have a lump come in, and I'd think mm. I need to cut this off today because yeah. it, it's uh, it's a mast cell tumor. I can't True. let this metastasize. So I'd be freaking out, thinking I need to get this to surgery ASAP. Yeah. It's been probably been growing for there for four months. Yeah, you know, so yeah, it doesn't <laughs> it need to come off week. today. Exactly, yeah. it can wait another week. But it's just that mindset, yeah. and and it's the same thing. You know, we used to get the occasional GDV thing mm. you know, coming as well. And I think my biggest error that I would make over and over in general practice is, yeah, you'd you'd, you'd open the surgery textbook and it would say it needs surgery. Mm. So you'd see this thing walk through the door. You'd get the X-rays and be like, I've got to anesthetize yeah. this immediately, or it's going to die. Mm-hmm. And there's so much evidence now in pretty much every surgical condition that stabilizing the patient beforehand and good aftercare is probably as important, if not more important than the actual surgery that you're doing. And so there's very few surgical procedures that need to be performed 
right in a matter now. of five seconds. Yeah, if, yeah. And if the patient is going to die in five seconds, it's not going to survive surgery, surgery. unfortunately. So well, that, that's a good thought because I know, um, you know, again, I think with experience, I think that's one thing that I feel more comfortable about is trying to figure out, try to triage my own set of appointments and, and surgeries that come through the door and say, like, does this, you know, does, does the person just want to have it done today or does it need to be done today? And can I sort of manage this or, like you said, stabilize the patient, you know, IV fluids, pain management, whatever um, the case may be, and then have it planned you know potentially the next day when you've got more time more support you're prepared you're mentally prepared you know um it's it, it can be hard on the fly yeah. well, i 100 I, yeah. I agree i think is it better to go yeah. diving into something yeah underprepared sure you know and just kind sure. of in this whirlwind day, rush. you're exactly. trying to go home your technician's trying to go home and you're thinking oh my gosh like how am i going to do this and then you just start panicking and then you realize that maybe you just need to take a deep breath and yeah. maybe do this and then stabilize and then back tomorrow you come so. yeah there's very mm-hmm. few as honestly like we're obviously yeah. on call there's very few um, surgeries that we will truly cut out of ours you know so there's there's probably septic abdomens hemoabdomens um, and gdvs would be kind of the big three that we're frequently doing okay most which other- i generally refer all those yeah 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 ex- exactly yeah but, but, but and, and having said that you know hemoabdomens yeah. we, we we wouldn't necessarily have to cut you could yeah, stabilize could that right yeah, but true. you but you also you yeah. could stabilize that you That's know true. we wouldn't yep, necessarily need to cut that but it's just yep. we don't want to pump our blood products yep, <laughs> down enough. the drain so it's yeah you know, it's kind of there's a lot of these things that, and and there's been papers yep. even now with gdvs of people decompressing all night but again it's yep. kind of gets to that point where it's like okay well we know we can go and we can decompress this it's fairly quick mm-hmm. and easy why not do it rather than having our you know ecc department yep. spending all night decompressing this dog it just seems like a bit of a waste of resources so yeah, absolutely even those more critical patients oftentimes you know, can wait if they're appropriately stabilized and so right. for me that was such a big thing you know again because i think i was just rushing into these yeah. surgeries the dogs are half unstable you know you're trying to manage your anesthesia you're trying to do your surgery it's not going well yeah it's much better just to take a step back think okay what is the basics okay i need to stabilize this dog okay it's in shock let's just give it some fluids yeah. let's start off with that yeah let's open a book if we need to let's make some planning as you said if yeah. it's something that doesn't need to be cut at 5 30 on a friday is yeah. it something that maybe can wait you know right. until i've had time to prepare i've got a team on with me that's yeah. comfortable doing this and i'm you know, just putting all those measures in place that again is is making me hopefully going to have a, a better surgical outcome i suppose well and i think it, it gets back to the topic which is you know how can i make this um surgery successful right and so it's just taking a moment and you know instead of panicking and saying okay well you know i'm supposed to end of my shift in one hour so if we're going to do it let's do this now and you know that can be correct sometimes but maybe you need to take a moment and where's my staff and do i have things prepared and do i know what i'm doing and you know how do we make sure that they um you know this is a, a successful outcome yeah and it sounds easy but it's it's far it's from it yeah in reality <laughs> In, and in, and I, you know, the reality of general practice too is is so busy. You know, yeah. it's, it's incredibly busy. People back to back, you know, appointments, and so even having that sort of uh, relaxed. Yeah. mindset going into it can be hard because you've got so many things going on so yeah, i think I so i think fo- focus for me sometimes i, I think because there's you know even when i'm in surgery because i think i've done so many spades that it's almost like riding a bike that i'm just sort of on autopilot so you have to take a moment and try to be in the moment oh, yeah. exactly yeah, it's yeah. sort of countering your human nature a lot of the time unfortunately but i bet yeah. i bet um well um dr will hawker it has been so fantastic to have you here on vet sessions uh we hope that you will come back again um anything else before we finish up here no, i think that's uh, 
uh, that's pretty much it, Tiffany. Yeah. That's great. Well, this has been fantastic. We appreciate all your tips there. I know I've learned something today. Um, thank you again to our guests for listening. If you have any further questions or ideas, please send us an email to vetsessions at hotmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at vetsessions, and we'll see you next time. Thanks again.